0: In 1980, Octavia Butler asked, why is science fiction so white? Well, it is 2021 and we are still asking ourselves that same question. Coming to you live from the Fifth Element Podcast Network, this is Tashaun Pugh, and welcome back to another episode of Black Women Watch, or I guess I should say welcome to the season finale. That's right, that's right, give it up. (laughs) Um, This is episode eight, and the final episode of the science fiction season, the first season, and I am just overjoyed at how much this podcast has grown, how much I have grown with this podcast, and just, like, how much I have been able to connect with other people who love movies as well in doing this podcast. So, it's definitely been a ride, um, and I, yeah, like I said, I've just, I've learned a lot about me and other things (laughs) while doing this podcast. So, I am very happy that it is like over, but I'm also very sad at that as well. Um, it is one of the little hobbies that I picked up um, that if you were to tell me, like I said, a, a year ago that I was going to be doing a podcast, I probably would have laughed at you a lot and then would have just told you to leave me alone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're here and we're doing it. So let's let's have some fun while we're doing it, right? Um, So the movie that we are talking about today was written by Spencer Williams. It was directed by Richard C. Kahn, and it stars Zach Williams, Laura Bowman, and Alfred Grant on this episode titled House of Horrors. This is 1940s first ever all-black cast science fiction slash horror movie, Son of Ngagi. Here you are, madam. Did you see Attorney Bradshaw? No. Where is he? He's right in the sitting room. Well, that's funny. I didn't see him. Well, I'll go right in and apologize. And ask him to stay for lunch. All right. So y'all know what the deal is. First, we have to talk about um, my history and relationship with this movie. I don't have one Um, and I think it's really surprising that I've never really heard about this movie until now just because I have taken like a handful of like black film classes or like the history of black cinema and I honestly don't think this movie has ever been brought up in any of them. Uh, Maybe in a couple of textbooks that I happen to read but other than that, like I had no idea that this movie existed, I just simply typed in... uh, all black cat <laughs> science fiction movie and this was one of like the first movies that popped up so I was like I feel like it was very relevant to the podcast um and obviously relevant to the season so I was like you know what we'll give it a chance so um I decided to watch it uh it's free on YouTube it's like an hour long it's not that long at all Um, But I will say that I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I thought the premise of it was really, really good. And truth be told, if someone wanted to remake this movie today, I would 100% absolutely be behind it. Because I feel like there is a really good story here and there's a really good movie here. And I just think with the time that it came out, maybe... There were other layers of the film or layers of the stories that kind of uh, overtook the story a bit. If what I'm saying is making sense. There was just too many layers. There were too many layers and I feel like at one point there's too much going on. And you kind of lost like the central, I wouldn't say theme, but the central plot of the movie um, basically. But let me explain what the movie is actually about. So, you have this newlywed couple. Um, they just got married, obviously, and they were getting ready to go on their honeymoon um, when they get visited by this doctor. And basically, <laughs> this is where things get a little bit, like, muddy. So, the wife of the newlywed couple, she was actually adopted And the doctor was in love with her father, with, like, her birth father. But when she found out that, like, her birth father didn't reciprocate the feelings, she just kind of let it go and she disappeared to Africa for a long period of time. And while she was in Africa, I guess, or whenever she came back, the young girls, the wife's parents birth parents died in like a terrible accident so she went into foster care and the doctor was like you know I wanted to be your mom like I wanted to adopt you but I just I didn't because I just didn't feel like it was right um but she was really touched when the um wife which I think I believe her name is Eleanor but the doctor was really touched when Eleanor um, invited her to the wedding and you know just told her how important she was to her and the doctor was she's kind of like a a a recluse and she's kind of like the outcast of this society of this town Um, and a lot of people say a lot of mean things about her Um, they don't really care too much for her but it really made her happy when she got the invitation to the wedding so what she did after the wedding is she the doctor called up her lawyer and she's like hey i need you to write me a will and the the lawyer was like why (laughs) and i'm like dude that's your job what the heck and she was like you know don't ask no questions i just need you to write me a freaking will so he writes her the will um and you know everything seems to be going fine the newlyweds they're doing their thing the doctor's doing her thing so we noticed that like While she's in her home and she just returned back from Africa, she brought back N'Gina with her. And Ingina is this ape-like creature that sort of kind of puts you in the mindset of like Frankenstein, basically. Um, And the name N'Gina, which I believe is Kenyan for like a servant, uh, it just basically means that N'Gina is a servant to the doctor. Um, and I want to say her name was like Dr. Howard in this, I believe, but yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call her Dr. Howard. I really hope that her name was Dr. Howard in this movie. I want to say that it was, but no, 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 excuse me. I'm wrong. Her name was not Dr. Howard. It was Dr. Helen. Excuse me. Okay. So Dr. Helen. Um. So Dr. Helen brings back in Gina, and Gina's living with her and Dr. Helen, um, Is working on this new medicine and basically we don't really know what the medicine is or what it does but basically we do know that it is going to be like life-changing for all humans on the planet Um, and she's very excited about this. So what happens is that of course N'Gina gets access to the medicine, he drinks all of it and it causes some changes to happen and he gets very violent. And he ends up killing Dr. Helen. But before Dr. Helen dies, let's let's backtrack a little bit. She sends a letter to Eleanor and her husband inviting them to her house. And so, by the time Eleanor and her husband get to the house, N'Gina has already killed Dr. Helen. And so, when they get there, they're kind of looking around and they're just like, something feels off, something feels weird. And um, they call the police and they, you know, discover her body. They call the police. So The police comes over and the police are not buying their story. They're like, so it just so happens that, you know, this woman, Dr. Helen, she comes back from Africa. Mind you, not only with Gina, but she also should have, like, some gold bars hidden in her house worth $20,000. So the cops are like, it just so happens that, you know, You guys don't know her, but you're in her house and they found her will and in the will and, um, Dr. Helen has left Eleanor, like all of her belongings. So everything that Dr. Helen owns, it now belongs to Eleanor and her husband. And so the cops are like, okay, obviously they're the number one suspects. Obviously you guys killed her to inherit this house, inherit the money, yada, yada, yada let's get them boys. (laughs) Let's book them boys. Let's get these fingerprints going. Um, so they, uh, arrest the couple, but they are later, like, acquitted and they get out and they move into the manor. Um, and again, this is where things just get really, like, muddled. But basically, to make a long story short, because I feel like I've been going at this for a little bit, but to make a long story short, Um, and Gina goes through these bursts where, you know, he kills people um, and basically at the end of the movie, um, Eleanor and her husband kind of figure out what's going on and Gina accidentally sets a fire in the house and Eleanor and her husband manage to lock And Gina up in a cage with the fire. So basically, the house is burning up, and Gina's in the house, and that's a done deal. But they did manage to save the twenty thousand dollars. So it's not like they were at a total loss. I mean, they still had money, and you know, to like buy a new house, buy new clothes, yada yada yada, all that sort of fun stuff. So um, (laughs) that is the uh, premise of the movie. And like I said, I feel like this would make. For a really good, you know, classic monster horror film, um, I think the script and the story itself does need a little bit of work. But overall, I enjoyed it. I, I had a good time. There were some really good comedic bits in it. And I think the acting was was really good. And speaking of acting, I do want to talk about the characters for a moment. So obviously, um, I mentioned it in the introduction of the film that this was an all-black cast for the film and that is something that was really kind of rare um, in this time period and I don't know, I just wonder what it, what it felt like to like be on that set and to to be with all these other black actors and actresses and you're not having to play the role of a maid. Which is funny because when I looked up the actress who played Eleanor and I want to say her name was Daisy, she's from Louisiana, all of her film roles are uncredited outside of this one and she plays a maid in like all of her other television and movie roles that she had in her career while she was alive. And I just think that's just, that's something, right? That says a lot um and it also says that we have made a really big impact and we've kind of come a long way just of like 40 something odd years um 40 plus something years of of being active within the film industry um and i really love that she was like of a darker skin tone which I just adored even more because that's obviously, again, something that you wouldn't see from that time period. You know, if you were to see a dark skinned black woman in a movie in this time period, she was either the mage, she was a mammy, or she was like a a Jezebel, you know, Um, she was in a lot of stereotypical roles. And I mean, that's something that you still see today. Um, But I was just blown away at the fact that you know, she was like one of the main characters and she had a very interesting um, plot, (laughs) character plot or character background story, I should say. Um, And another really cool thing that I found out about this movie was that Dr. Helen Jackson, who was played by Laura Bowman, so she was like the mad scientist. Like, first of all, let's stop there, right? Like this woman And I want to say probably one of the, I don't know if I want to say one of the very first like mad scientist who was portrayed by a woman, but one of the very few first, Um, that says a lot. And I I really enjoyed seeing that and she was a more heavyset black woman, so I just thought that that was just like, I don't know, I just thought that was really cool, like this this is just really cool. Um, But not only that, she was actually based on a real person. So, now we get to meet the witch of Wall Street and her actual name was Hetty Green and she was the richest woman in the Gilded Age. Like, this lady was worth $4.7 billion in today's standards, like, in today's society. Like, can you imagine being worth that much money? Like, what the heck do you even do with that much money? Like what could you possibly buy (laughs) with so much money? Like I can't even fathom having like, you know, won the lottery and I won like $10 million because then it's just like, I don't know what the heck to do with all this money. Like I'll pay all my debts. Like I'll pay like my friend's debts, my family's debts, but it's like, you still have all this money left over. Like what the heck are you going to do with it? I don't know. Money just gives me so much anxiety, but, um, yeah, she was worth 4.7 billion dollars and the funny and ironic thing about it was that she was such a cheapskate. (laughs) She was a real life Mr. Krabs y'all to the fullest and like she wore the same like black dress um which kind of gave her her reputation as like the witch of wall street because she was not a flashy woman whatsoever she wore that same dress um and the only times when she might have like gotten a new dress or gotten new clothes was when the hems were falling apart or anything like that um she Caught a hernia later on in her life, but she refused to get surgery for it. She refused to go see the doctor for it. She was just like, I'm going to live with it and that's that. Um, And she even cost her son his leg. Like his leg had to be amputated because she did not want to spend that money on healthcare. She was too busy trying to find a free clinic that, you know, I guess the infection or whatever was wrong with her son's leg caused him to lose it. And I don't know, I feel like that would definitely cause a little bit of a, a relationship strain between me and my mom, you know, if she's worth all this money and she just could not be bothered to take the time to find me a, like a really good health clinic. <laughs> To, to like help me get surgery or whatever. But she was born into a Quaker family. So Hetty Green was born into a Quaker family and they were extremely rich. Um, they had a big whaling fleet company and um, that's where they got a lot of their money because I know they did a lot of trading with China within this whaling company. And um, her whole family was just like a family of businessmen and businesswomen. Um, so much so that she learned about finance mainly from her father and her grandfather. So when her um, grandfather was sick, you know, she would go and read him like the newspaper and would read him the stock updates and all of that good stuff. And she would do the same thing with her father. Um, and it got to the point when she turned 13, she actually became the bookkeeper for this family. So could you imagine a 13 year old like, my sister, <laughs> my sister is 13, so could you just imagine her being in charge of, like, the bookkeeping for our family expenses? Like, absolutely not. And I just think that it's such a crazy thing to realize, like, how much kids back then just didn't have, like, childhoods and, and how they were just essentially just mini-adults, you know? Um, And it makes me think about... Marie Antoinette in particular because I knew she was particularly young as was a lot of these other like prince and princesses um within those time periods you know but I'm like you're given all this responsibility and you haven't even hit puberty yet and you're expected to make these really big decisions so I don't know it's just something that I really uh think about when I hear of things like this of you know teenagers being involved in a lot of things beyond their comprehension. But obviously, uh, Miss Hetty was smart, you know? So, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't a bad thing. She was smart. She knew what to do with her money. She knew, she knew and understood the stock market better than I ever could at 13. So, and I'm 23. So, that puts a lot into perspective. But, um, she grew a reputation basically, like I said, by the, the clothing that she would wear, which was pretty much, I guess, in fashion with the Quaker, like, society and Quaker tradition. And just by how cheap she was, and I know it was mentioned that she basically was like, you know, a lot of people think that just because I don't spend my money in these big lavish ways that I'm insane or I'm like crude or mean or whatever, when that's, you know, essentially is not the case. I She just doesn't want to spend her money. And I mean, I guess, could you blame her? I don't know. I think maybe if I was living it up back then, I would probably be spending my money recklessly. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, (laughs) So, she uh, did get married um, and she did have two kids, Sylvia and Ned. I want to say her son's name was Ned, Um, but she kind of, like, passed down her knowledge and, and wealth onto her kids, obviously, and she made sure that they were taken care of. Like, Miss Green was not about to let her kids get married to some deadbeats who wanted to do nothing but just, you know, leech off of their spouse. So, in particular with her daughter Sylvia, Sylvia stayed with her mom until she was in her 30s and of course she was being suited by people um, all throughout, you know, that time period but Miss Hetty was like not giving them the time of day. She was like, nope, don't like him, don't like him, don't care about him, moving on. Um, But eventually there was one guy that did catch the interest of Sylvia and of Hetty herself and Hetty eventually gave her blessings. She was like, "It's okay. I think you know. I kind of like this guy. Like, I think it's okay if you marry him." Um, and he came from his own wealthy family, so he had inherited two million dollars from his family, and he was like the heir of some other like big company. So it wasn't a thing of like her being scared of him taking her money because he had his own, but she still made them sign prenups because she's like, you know, I just don't trust it, you know? <laughs> so shout out to Miss Hetty, you know, um, she was a cheapskate, but I think maybe she was one in good favor in good favor, good honor. Um, but she was just a, a very interesting person. And I thought it was very interesting also that, um, she was, uh, Dr. Helen's character was modeled after her and another thing about Hetty was that even though she was seen as being super cheap she was also a philanthropist in her own right and she made sure that she gave a lot of her wealth to charities and um, different things like that which is something that it is mentioned in the movie that Dr. Helen does with her money as well. Um, so I thought that was a really cool thing to kind of bring up and to point out because I didn't want her reputation to just be squandered by other people's perceptions of her and what she did with her own money, you know. But I'm still thinking like, damn, she was worth 4.7 billion dollars. That's a lot of money. <laughs> anyway, moving on, Um, I kind of want to transition to like the historical filmmaking of making this movie. So Spencer Williams, the writer of This film actually based this off of a short story he wrote, which is called House of Horror, which is also the title of this episode, Um, and Sack Amusements Production Company out of Austin, Texas, I think it was, they uh, read it, they really liked it, and they offered him the chance to write and direct a feature film with their company, and it was supposed to be this movie, but he actually only wrote it, he didn't get to direct it, so, um, Richard C. Kahn was the one that eventually got to direct this movie, but Spencer ended up directing um, The Blood of Jesus. He wrote and directed The Blood of Jesus that came out in 1941, and that was a time period when only Oscar Micheaux was the only, you know, black self-financed filmmaker of that time period. And I also do feel like to, like, I don't know why, I just feel like I didn't really hear a lot about Oscar growing up up and I guess, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Being in conversation with other Black filmmakers and learning the history of Black filmmaking and his name rarely pops up as well, which I'm just like, I don't know if that's a thing that I feel like I'm making up or if it's something that actually happened, but I just, I really just don't remember learning too much, um, about him. But... The name for this film doesn't match the monster's name, which is N'Gina, because of box office reasons, which I thought was particularly peculiar. Um, Just because there was another movie, I want to say, that had the same name, um, but because they didn't want it to be like a battle at the box office, they just decided not to go with... um, the name of the monster, which is Gina. so they just decided to go with the son of Ingagi, which I sort of get, I sort of get, but I mean, at that same time, it's like, how many movies can you come out <laughs> with giant ape-like creatures, you know, terrorizing cities before it gets kind of old? Um, yeah, I don't know, but then again, back in that time period, things were a lot different than they are now, so... I'm pretty sure it was definitely a thing of politics and business back in that um, time frame, but I did read that N'Gina was also likely influenced by Boris Karloff's character in Frankenstein because he did show signs of having a lot of violent outbreaks, which a lot of people attributed to him um, suffering, like being in suffering and being in mourning. And I'm really, really glad that someone brought that up because I wanted to take the time to talk about um, grief, science fiction, and technology. Um, I happened to read an article and it's called Technology is Impacting Grief, but is it helping? And I learned a few things. Um, First, I learned about an app. It's called Hereafter. And basically it's a chat box for your deceased one. So what you would do is you would like record your voice over like you would do a bunch of interviews you would record a bunch of words and stuff like that and then you would I guess input it into this chat box and whenever you wanted to talk like for example let's just say I passed away and you wanted to talk to me before I die I would do a lot of interviews um, and that way that the AI, by our, the system would be able to tell my speech patterns and things of that nature and then after I passed and you wanted to talk to me, you would just go to this app and this app would like mirror as me, as if you were talking to me, if that's making any sense. Um, and I mean, basically, I think it works with chat. And text messages as well as like actual audio, so you know you just download this and you can talk to me on your your Amazon Alexa. That other cool stuff is actually no, that's insanely creepy. I'm sorry, um, but it's just very. I don't know how I'm trying to say this, and I feel like my mind is now scattering to a whole bunch of different um, conversation points, and I'm trying to keep it all together and concise. But I am just so entranced by the idea of grieving being heavily influenced by science fiction and technology just because it's the most bizarre thing and I have been in conversations with people in tech and people who deal and build build AI technology and talking about grief and just talking about how scary it is that like grief is probably one of the biggest emotions I feel like anyone could ever deal with um and I feel like with a lot of science fiction movies and things that we see I feel like a lot of that is really stemmed in grief and I definitely wholeheartedly feel that about horror as well as a genre like I just feel like it's a genre dedicated to love and grief like that's all that there is you know um and it made me think about the Black Mirror episode called Be Right Back, where you had this couple, um, I think it was season two, episode one, but you had this couple, they were moving into their new house, and they had just gotten engaged, and things were going great, um, and the husband, or the boyfriend, he gets into a car accident, I think, I don't think it was ever really explained how he died, it just like, he just died, um, but I think it was a car accident, and what happens is like you know his girlfriend is obviously devastated like you know she was getting ready to get married to this person um she was moving in with this person like she was getting ready to start a new chapter of her life with this person and now suddenly that they're not there anymore um and her friend tells her about this program where you would give this like ai by a bunch of this person like tech messages, phone calls, you would just give them the authority to use all of that stuff. And then they would create their own AI uh, sequence or bot based on this person. Um, And she was very taken aback by it at first because I think the first thing she received from this spot was like an email She was very taken aback by it but her friend was like no you know give it time like you'll warm up to it and eventually she did and she started taking phone calls from it she was texting it all day she was just really like in love with this thing um and it got to the point where this company also made like real life replicas of the deceased person and I think that is where I would have stopped (laughs) if I was if I was this woman and if I was grieving I feel like I would have stopped right there because it's like you're dead right and for me it's like if you're dead hearing your voice alone is definitely going to freak me out but then seeing you in the flush and seeing you like move when you're not supposed to is also going to freak me out and that makes me think about the thing and why i am afraid of objects that emulate real life are people but aren't real people just because it's like you're not supposed to do that <laughs> Like according to all the laws and the rules of society and world and biology, you are not supposed to move and now you're moving and you're talking to me and it's just really weird. Um, which again, just brings up the question of grieving. It's like, why is it that when we grieve, we go to these lengths to like patch that hole? You see what I'm saying? I don't know. I just... I just think it's just beyond something and i definitely think that a lot of tech companies try and capitalize off of our grief really um and that brings me to the other point of holograms like i read something i think it might have been on my twitter feed the other day where whitney houston is supposed to be performing in las vegas performing a couple of shows in las vegas and i'm like whitney houston has been dead for how many years now I'm sorry, I don't want to pay to see a hologram of her, like, performing her greatest hits on a stage. It's it's just really weird. And it makes me think about the um, other Black Mirror episode, I think it was called Ashley O, where, you know, you had this, like, teen pop star sensation, and basically what they were going to do is they were going to just, you know, get all these images of her and get her voice and likeness down, and then they were just going to, like, do away with her because... You essentially don't need the actual person. All you needed was just the likeness of the person and a hologram and that would do the work for you because then it's like, okay, you don't even have to actually pay a real person to perform. You don't have to pay Whitney Houston to perform. You probably would have to pay her estate to use the likeness of her, but I mean, you don't have to worry about her getting tired or like her wanting to take breaks or her not wanting to perform a certain song. Like you can make her do whatever you want her to do, right? Um... And that just, to me, just, there's just something so, I don't want to say sinister, but there's just something very unsettling about this whole conversation of grief and of science fiction, um, especially with the technology that we have in this day and age. And I don't know, I just think it's very, I just think it's very, it's just very interesting. Yeah, it's very um, compelling and it's something that I definitely want to do a lot more in-depth digging about. But overall, my feelings toward this is just like, I i don't think I've ever experienced a really, truly heavy loss, um, especially with like family. I would assume, you know, not so much as I would assume, but just with my family. Whenever relatives die, it's a thing of like, oh, okay, I might have known that relative, but I wasn't super close to them, or oh, I have no idea who this relative is, that sort of thing. So I don't really feel heavily impacted by it, but I am really nervous to experience the impact of losing someone that was very close to me and just going like I just want to know like what changes in your brain when you're dealing with grief um and I will say I think that's definitely a topic of conversation for now because with COVID I know a lot of people are dealing with grief you know and now we kind of have to face our grief and grieving processes head on because it's not like well I mean now you can you know use distraction so you can go to the gym or you can take a trip or you can do this or you can do that you know but when COVID first started last year, that wasn't an option, right? And people were dying left and right. And people still are dying left and right. Like, the, I think there are more COVID deaths this year than last year. And I think there was, like, a surge of, like, 100,000 COVID cases within 48 hours in the U.S. So it's, like, yeah, it's still going on. It's still very scary. But um, now it's a thing of where, like, we can kind of, we have forms of escapism, Um, I guess is what I'm trying to say, but um, it is very, I don't know. I just really want to know like grief, you know, am I right? I don't know. I I don't know. I feel like a mad woman sitting here talking about it. Maybe someone understands what I'm saying. Maybe someone doesn't, but I just think the whole topic of conversation around technology and grieving is a very, again, interesting one. And it's one that I would love to be more in depth with. Yeah, so... (laughs) But, you know, um, there isn't much left to say about this film because there wasn't much on this film to begin with and I kind of knew that going into it. Um, So I really don't have much else left to say about this film except that this film kind of proves why it's important that Black people, specifically for me, Black people, Black women participate in science fiction is because we don't see ourselves in anything else really and I feel like there are a lot of rules that don't apply to science fiction that applies to other genres you know and I feel like this is why science fiction is just so important because it allows us to dream, it allows us to imagine a different future Um, especially for black people because the past and the present has not been kind to us whatsoever but it puts me at an ease when I can think about Um, the future and think about what could be and think about the things that could happen um, and what I could be like as a person in a different timeline or in a different alternate universe, you know, like what kind of person could I be? Um, And I've said this across pretty much all of the other episodes um, within the season, but I just think it's important that Black people exist. Black people and people of color exist in these fantasy worlds, exist in these science fiction worlds because... As I said, you know, in my little teaser of the episode, Octavia Butler said that in 1980, and I'm pretty sure someone said it before her, and someone said it before them, you know, but, like, why is science fiction so freaking white? And it was funny, after I did the last episode, and for the love of God, I cannot remember his name, but um, the person that Stanley Kubrick uh like offered or wanted to get advice from um about uh extraterrestrial life forms and what they would kind of look like for 2001 a space odyssey this was the same guy who was getting like hate because he went on a television show to do an interview and he mentioned about how white star wars was and it's like yeah let's talk about that you know like why is it that this world of escapism, which truth be told is not even that much big of a difference between this world and their world except, you know, they have better space travel and obviously they live in harmony sometimes with uh, extraterrestrials and joys and things of that nature, but like why is it that it seems like only white people can actively perform in escapism? Especially with science fiction, it just seems really geared around white people and that's something oh god I cannot remember his name that he brought up in his interview where he was just like you know it's funny because you have all these other different kind of life forms but most of the humans are white and he was just like just based on genetics and biology alone like that's not something that should be happening in this particular world if you wanted to get super technical about it and I think science fiction exists for us you know um and that's why again i love it so much um i love thinking about how cool it would be if i was like this like warlord in another <laughs> universe or something i don't know um but it just gives me the chance to play um i guess if if that makes any sense like role play it gives me a chance to do that like as an adult because it's not something that we're supposed to do as adults, like, a lot of people are like, oh, that's childish, you know, let's leave that to the children or whatever, but even then, it's like, a lot of black kids don't have childhoods, a lot of black kids have to grow up from, you know, early, and they have to deal with a lot of things, And essentially, like I was saying before about Hetty Green and her, you know, having to be the family's bookkeeper at 13. It's like, okay, maybe not a lot of black kids were bookkeeping at 13, but their lives were, you know, not as easy and not as carefree as those um, of, like, maybe white kids, should I say, but I don't know. It's a lot. It's a lot, and I just believe that science fiction exists for us, and I'm fully ready to see, like, a new golden era of Black science fiction come to the screen because it's important and it's way past time that we really dwell into this, into this genre. And I wouldn't say reclaim it, but just put our stake on it, you know, because we exist and we deserve that. We deserve to have fun. We deserve to have dreams. and we deserve to live our our fantasy world, wherever that may be, wherever, you know, if that means that you are, you know, a officer on the Starfleet in Star Trek, or if you are a archaeologist in Jurassic Park, or if you are a crew member aboard, you know, the starship in Alien, however you want to look at it, wherever you want to insert yourself, you know, I think it is vital and it is important to us. And it helps keep us youthful and it helps keeps us young and it just helps us get on from day-to-day life. I I can definitely tell you... It has been very difficult trying to move from day to day during this pandemic. um, And just being like a young black woman in America or just in the world, it's been extremely difficult. Life has just been hard. But knowing that like I could read a book and it could take me to a different place or I could watch a television show or I could watch a movie and or listen to a song and it can take me to a different world just makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. And it kind of gives me the message of like, it's okay. And there are other things out there for you. And there are other things out there for you to explore. I think maybe that's just a nice little message to end this episode on. I don't want to start rambling too much because I feel like I've done that already. But that is going to do it for me, Uh, that is what black women have been watching this week and that is what black women have been watching this season. Um, Like I said, I am extremely thankful to everyone who has taken the time out to listen and engage with me and the podcast. It truly, truly, truly means a lot. Um, I would like to give a special shout out to Charlie Taylor for being the producer of the show and for allowing me to be a part of the um, Fifth Element podcast network. I am overjoyed, again, and just extremely grateful for your guidance and your help with this show. Um, I also would like to give a shout-out to Heaven Wong, who was my guest for last episode. Heaven has also been a huge helping hand and helping me get this podcast, like, started and off the ground and helping me plan for future things. So thank you so much, Heaven, for being an awesome and amazing friend. and. I hope you guys get used to hearing her name because she will be back on the show for the next season, which I am just, ah, I can't wait. I can't wait. And, you know, a lot of people have been asking me, so what are you going to talk about next season? Like, what's next season going to be about? So, I think I will finally go ahead and tell you all that the next season is going to be And I just, like, cannot wait to, like, go ahead and dive into all of that, with all that genre in, in floors. So, you know, take this time to rest up. Take this time to maybe watch the films that I talked about if you hadn't had the chance to watch it. Um, get into some readings, perhaps. And just get buckled up and ready for this next season, y'all. Because it's coming soon. Um, I don't have an exact date. But it is going to be coming out um, soon because I am going to take a little bit of a break. I'm definitely going to do a social media hiatus just to like refocus and gather myself and get ready for this upcoming school year. Um, I know some of you are also in school, so we got to get ready for that. But if you do want to keep up with the show, want to keep up with the happenings of me, and keep up with the updates of when the show will possibly come out with the second season. And all of that other good stuff. You can follow us on Twitter at uppercase BWW lowercase the pod. That is BWW the pod. And that's also BWW the pod on Instagram as well. You can give us a shout on Apple Podcast make sure you leave a nice little comment review for us as well as give us that five star rating four stars will will take three stars i don't know that's a little <laughs> that's a little low but i'd love to hear from you all and love to hear what you guys thought about the show and about the season and if there could be any improvements made for next season or if there are any movies or things like that or articles or things like that that you want us to take a look at for the next season. Um you can always get in contact with me on those social media platforms. But other than that, this is it. This has been a wild ride. It has been a fun ride. And again, I cannot wait to see you all back here next season. From the Fifth Element Podcast Network. My name is DeShawn Pew and this has been Black Women Watch. Y'all be safe out here, be kind to one another, and I'll see you soon.